Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Creative Control with Vish Khan. 
Tom Sharpling is a tremendously talented radio broadcaster, comedic performer, and comedy writer currently based in Los Angeles, California. A proud son of the state of New Jersey, Sharpling is the host and a creative force behind The Best Show, a popular and influential weekly internet radio comedy program and podcast that highlights his fruitful collaborative partnership with John Worcester, and with his friend Julie Klausner, he co-hosts the very funny podcast Double Threat as well. His television writing and producer credits include Monk, What We Do in the Shadows, and most recently, Kevin Can F Himself. He's directed a number of well-received music videos and has acted in everything from the film Ant-Man to animated series like The Simpsons and Steven Universe. On July 6, 2021, Abrams Press publishes It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories, a beautifully written, hilarious, poignant, deeply personal, an astonishingly revealing book that presents Tom Sharpling as virtually nobody on earth knows him. Tom returned to this show for an in-depth discussion about It Never Ends, his recent move to California and how he's managed during this pandemic, how his book depicts his struggles with mental health issues and unprocessed trauma, how letting go of such deeply hidden stories and secrets has impacted him, how one can help others by understanding one's self, community, competition, and self-loathing, the band Islands, and Howard Stern's self-promotion of his book and film, Private Parts, Future Plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network, with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. And Massey Hall's concert film series, live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Destroyer. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 620th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Tom Sharpling, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to uh, speak with you once again. Uh, first of all, as I always ask my guests, where in the world are you today, Tom? I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California. Nice. Yes. As a listener of the uh, best show there, I, I know you've been remote for quite some time. Uh, mm-hmm. What brings you to Los Angeles per se? Well, it's at this point, it's where I live. I'm here. So, uh, yeah, work and life brought me here and here i am <laughs> well uh that's great how, how are you liking it is it a big adjustment or is it is it is it good yeah it's a big adjustment it's not nothing but i i like it it's, it's i'm making the adjustments hmm. it was strange to do it during uh just mere mere months before the world shut down so i kind of didn't get to see it as is hmm. it all changed and so, yeah, I saw the inside of Los Angeles a lot. 
not a whole lot of the restaurant and friends part of it yet. Right, right. I, I think the perception of Los Angeles is uh, is that it's very exciting, but there's also a perception that it's very phony. Uh, you know, it's got some fakery to it, pretentiousness. Uh, but it sounds like you've been mostly inside. Have you experienced much of the the negative parts, or has it mostly just been very positive? Well, I I, I don't know if that's necessarily how it is uh, com- compared to other places. I've been I've been in New Jersey my whole life, and New York has some of the biggest phonies I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Like I can say unequivocally, I've met bigger phonies in New York than Los Angeles. Okay, all right. So it's I don't know what it is. There's just something about it might, it might be a spe- it might be a certain breed of the show busy part of it might feel like it's there's a performative aspect to to things. But I ultimately I do think every place has a version of that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you've been mostly hunkered down. I'm guessing. I think uh, I've spoken to a, a few people from. Los Angeles recently, including a, a mutual friend of ours, Nick Thorburn. And uh, mm-hmm. that wasn't so long ago. It was a few weeks ago now. And he was talking about how L.A. is back online, as he put it. It's it's sort of back. Uh, is that your experience as well? Are you feeling free to circulate? It's getting back. Yeah, I think over the over literally the last two weeks, it felt like you could see people and if they were vaccinated and you're vaccinated... You could actually see them and just kind of not feel like you're doing something illegal. <laughs> right. Yes, that's good. Well, that's good. That's great. I mean, he was saying the same thing. And I we here in Canada are quite jealous because we're I'm watching two to three basketball games a, a night. And uh, mm-hmm. it is astounding to see, you know, state arenas with like 15, 16, 18,000 people in them. And here we're still under some measure of lockdown. So for what it's worth, we, uh, we're, uh, we're, I am quite envious of what's going on down there. It seems quite normal uh, from, from our perspective, but you're saying it's not quite normal yet. No, it's, it's getting there, though. Yeah. It is getting there. And I'm, I'm sorry you're not uh, where you would like to be <laughs> with it, and just for health reasons and for personal reasons. But it's, it's just been such a challenge and... I've been. I, Los Angeles is a place that was in severe lockdown for for long stretches, and it was awful. Mm-hmm. Where it would be, where it's getting worse here. This is. There was a point where Los Angeles was uh, arguably the worst place on earth in terms of the pandemic yeah. for a stretch, where it was like it was one of the biggest hotspots on the planet. Yeah. So then it was awful. Yeah. And then Nick said the same thing. It, it, this, is, this situation seems to be evolving very quickly. It seems very, very bad. And then within a few weeks, it's better, almost to the point of being good. And it's like a yo-yo. It's been going up and down. So uh, we just have to be patient, I'm sure, as you, you have been, I'm guessing. It's just, I mean, yes, yeah. I've been asking uh, creative types of, of all sorts how this uh, period of lockdown stillness has been. I've been getting interesting responses some have found it uh to be a time where they can you know maybe work on old projects or finally start ones that they've long you know had on the shelf others have said i can't create anything this is such a terrible terrible time i'm not inspired to do anything i'm curious about you i mean i know you do a weekly show 
It's been firing on all cylinders, if I might say. We're here to discuss mm, this sweet. excellent book, incredible book that uh, I know you started it in 2017, well before uh, the lockdown. But and I'm, we'll get into that in a in a moment. But yeah, how how has the pandemic stillness been for you as a creative person? Have you been able to to get a lot of work done? Well, I was working on a uh, writing on a television show that the job stopped pretty much the day that the pandemic started. So that was, so I went right from that into this kind of the figuring out what the pandemic was and I still had to finish the book. So Mm. I did take advantage of that uh, lifestyle and just powered through on the book and wrote it, finished it out over the over a, a few months in 2020, which uh, I don't know if I could have uh, uh, could have would have been granted that level of of time. Honestly, the degree level, yeah, amount, yeah. So you, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so you relished it on the one hand. I mean, obviously, it's not something to relish. A lot of pain and suffering, but on a personal level. I mean, you were able to get, you had time, basically, is what you're, I think what you're saying. I did have time. So, yeah, so it was the trade-off between this thing is happening and suddenly I've been given all this time. That's on one side of it. And the other side is maybe if I, if I touch the wrong bag of Cheetos at the grocery store, I might get coronavirus was the, those were the two thoughts running through my head simultaneously. Uh, were there, I've had some low points, uh, fear, anxiety about what's going on. Uh, my family and I have been really uh, hunkered down for the most part. Uh, haven't even eaten a meal from the outside world. Uh, we've been cooking a lot and I've enjoyed that. But wow. yeah, haven't ordered takeout or anything. Just felt like, you know what? Just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, at this point we're going to, my wife and I were just talking about this. You know what? Maybe we'll order some sushi. Why not at this point? Right. Yeah. You know, we both had one, this- one vaccine each, uh, but the children, the children aren't vaccinated. I'm, uh, they're nine and six. They're not old enough to mm-hmm. get the thing. Anyway, so I've had these low points. Uh, I know you are a thinker. I know you sometimes worry. Uh, have you had those moments uh, during this stretch? Oh, yeah. Everything was every. It was the, the full range of terror. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. I, I, there was so many, so many terrifying moments. But it's it's funny how fast your brain works to get you to kind of let go of those just so you can survive and not constantly carry the weight of the world all the time. You can't have your fears be so active. You're, it's like my brain is kind of just like, no, look, that was, a, that was all, it was okay. Maybe it wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but let's kind of, let's just keep moving forward. And you're like, wait, yeah. I didn't process any of it. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting you brought up your brain. It is uh, something of a nice segue into this book. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you, Tom, and I don't mean to gush or flatter you, over flatter you, I should say. Uh, I no love such thing as over flattering me. <laughs> okay. I wanted to say that right off the bat. This book is incredible. Uh, it never ends as incredible. I first received it uh, in a format that meant I had to read it on my phone telephone and i read the whole thing 
in like three days. Just scroll. I know. I don't know. Do you like reading books on your phone or your no. machines? No, I don't. It's either. Terrible. Yeah, I. I initially said no. I always say no. Send me a galley, please. I don't try to be too demanding, but I just don't like it. Uh, sure. Reading reading things on my little phone, like a book, a book on your phone, seems wrong. But I did it. I did it for you, and I was just instantly compelled, and I read it so quickly. I just devoured the thing. And then, uh, you know, in preparation for our chat today, uh, I decided yesterday to look through my emails for the, the press release, you know, announcing your book. And uh, uh-huh. as I was looking at it, I glanced out my window, and there's a courier truck, guy walking up my walkway. I go to greet him, and he hands me an envelope, and you can't see it, but I've got a copy of your book here, physically. And uh, You have the physical copy of it. I have it. a physical copy of the book right here, uh, and I will tell you, uh, this has only happened to me a couple times in my life for a book of this size. Read the whole thing again uh, in oh in goodness. less than 24 hours. Uh, not trying to brag. Right. I just want to convey to you, again, no such thing as over flattery, but I read your book twice and uh, the second time in a day. So I just want to tell you, it means a lot to me and I love it. Well, well that means a lot to me. Seriously, that's oh, that's just mind-blowing. I can't believe... I'm I'm truly humbled by that. Uh, no joke. That is that is very flattering. Well, I, I I don't I don't mean to embarrass you in this regard, but I it was to the point where you know uh, I mentioned the basket again. No, th- that goes <laughs> under the umbrella of there's you cannot embarrass me with praise. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep that there's in mind. No such thing. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for the rest of the conversation. But yeah, I, I actually I did something I've never done. I read your book while watching a basketball game. I had it. I was so engrossed wow. in the book, but I knew there was an important. As we're speaking, uh, I was watching Phoenix mm-hmm. uh, destroy Denver, uh, and I. But I, I did a thing that yeah. if my son was doing that, he'd be like, "You're not getting the book nutrients you need with something like a television on in front of you as well." But I couldn't help it, and to be honest, or the basketball nutrients. That's right. That's right. I was getting nothing really nutritious from either. But I couldn't help it. I, I, I do want people to know that it's an, a completely engrossing book. Uh, for fans of yours, I think it will be a very shocking and astounding book. I mean, I think the humor, the wit, that's not going to surprise them. But there's obviously things in this book, and I'm not going to spoil anything unless you do. I'm not going to talk about it no, too I'm much. I want, I want people to read it. But Thank I you. want to get... Well, I just don't want to talk about stuff because I'll be sad all day. <laughs> well, you've done a wondrous job, by the way, of, of pre- presenting really heavy personal information with some really, really funny stories. And that's a difficult oh. balancing act. You say in the from the get-go, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but you say from the get-go, that's what we're in for. How difficult was that for you to, to find that, that, to strike that balance? Like, that's not easy for anyone to do. That was the hardest part of this whole book was the two hardest parts of writing this were facing material that I had never necessarily thought I would ever talk about stuff that I was completely prepared to take to the grave things in my life and striking a balance between finding my voice and but not have it sound like I just talked into a tape recorder mm-hmm. there were so many there were so many things for me to hit this sweet spot that I was striving to hit where I was like I want it to feel conversational 
but I also want it to feel like a book and not just a transcription. And I want to be funny throughout the book. I didn't want it to turn into any kind of pity party if for some of the more sensitive subjects. And But I was going to try to find a way to make those things funny to whatever degree I could. But I also didn't want to turn them into jokes or make it like uh, or, or minimize stuff, make it seem like a, it's just like, ah, none of it mattered. It's like, well, no, it did matter. The stuff's real and it's very meaningful to me in a lot of ways. So I didn't want to minimize that. But I also didn't want it to not be funny because my favorite thing is comedy. And if there was a way to make some of these things funny in whatever way I could pull it off, that was that was what I was really striving to do. Well, I mean, you, you have accomplished this. I mean, for those of us who have followed you uh, over the last 20, 20 odd years now, I think we've felt like we've known you. Um, and, and obviously for those of us who maybe home into that, feeling we know we those I, I think for those of us who are familiar with how <laughs> broadcasters work and how public personalities tend to function I think most of us probably recognize that we knew have known a heightened version of you um, but this this is a, a you that as you say in your book uh, you can count on your hand how many people know some of these stories uh, these aspects yeah uh, these aspects of you yeah. Just as a, you know, when we keep secrets, they can be a burden, whether they're whatever, whatever it is. I just they they I, I know from my own experience, if you have a secret uh, and, you know, even if it's like keeping a surprise party from someone, it's a bit of a burden. How difficult has it been for you to live with these things as a public person who talks to your audience and, you know, every every week at least? How difficult has it been for you to kind of live with these secrets, so to speak? Well, it it really comes down to and just to, so we're not making like a complete mystery but i'm not going to get overly specific now it's just like the book has a lot of stuff about me growing up with personal issues mental trauma also stuff all along those lines and it goes pretty deep and it was pretty severe and it's just so that's what we're we're not going to we're not being cute like withholding that but i don't, i'd also don't want to tell the whole story either but i just i don't want people listening to feel like well why are they being so coy with it oh i appreciate that i i'm tr- with yeah. any book or any story uh, I, I try i do my darndest <laughs> not to spoil oh, no this is a, yeah absolutely no i and i appreciate yeah. that i appreciate you're, you're you're being very respectful in a in a variety of ways and i, I appreciate all of it oh. but i just feel like i can say that yeah and i have no just like that's that's what is at the core of so much of the book is that kind of trauma and pain and it's the kind of thing that it was just truly a survival mechanism for me that I had to close that stuff off from who I was going to be day to day for me to be able to keep going day to day and that stuff gets locked away you kind of tamp it down or close slam a door behind it in your brain compartmentalize it so you can keep functioning and after a while the the problem is that that stuff doesn't just fade away it's there and it grows yeah. and it's behind some door growing and it so it was easy to do but it was also not the right way to handle it ultimately because it'll it's going to come out one way or another so 
Yeah. At some point, it was time to tell it the way I'm telling it, and that's that's what that's what we're doing. Is that this is the way for me to cover that part of my life that I never talked about on the radio? Because I, I I always felt like if I'm ever going to talk about this stuff. The best show is not the place to do it. It just feels like I need to tell this in a beginning to end format that I can 100% control the telling of the story. That was the only way I would feel, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's feel safe enough or just feel that that was the way to most effectively tell it without, without worrying about other things. Mm -hmm. So, and I could get it right because if I did it on the radio, if I'm saying it and I flub something or forget something, then I told it wrong. But with this book, I could, I was writing it over and over and staring at it. And so I, I knew I was telling it the way I needed to tell it. As the book begins to circulate when it comes out in July, does it stand to reason that you might, start talking more about such things. Um, again, the best show isn't necessarily the best format for some of these things, but at the same time, we've learned so much about you through that show. I mean, does this open the floodgates a little bit for you? It might. I I, I could go any which way with it. I just want it out yeah. and figure we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, it sounds hokey, but in some ways I, it's like I feel like a spectator to some of this stuff. Like I'm, there are larger forces moving me along and I'll go where they go. Yeah. And I know that sounds strange, but I don't have a plan. The, the, I, I would think the, it would be impossible for me to, if I started to come up with a plan like, well, now I'll incorporate this aspect of my life into the best show and then that and this will work, that maybe that won't work, I won't do this. It's like I just, I can't. All it takes is one un, unplanned variable and nothing, none of the planning would work and I would have to readjust. So I'm going to try to not overthink it and just kind of go with whatever makes sense. Yeah. Once we get to the point where people have the book and and maybe maybe see things in my, me a little differently. It's just we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. It's, you know, there's a few times in the book where you allude to the fact that if your sarcastic comedian friends are reading <laughs> certain passages, they might, uh, you know, grill you a little bit. And you you just, I, as I mentioned the idea that, you know, secrets can be burdens. You talked about the idea of compartmentalizing some of this information, and now it's sort of out. Have you felt like, so at this point, as you and I are speaking, it never ends is not yet widely available, but people like me and obviously the your colleagues at the publishing house, people have read it now. Yes. Have you felt a tangible shift in your personality since you put these stories down, articulated them, as you said, you know, got them right? And then, you know, the idea of not only doing that in, on your computer, but then transmitting them to someone that's a big deal. Like, I will, t you know, that's that's got to be a big deal. I would think to be like, I, I'm finally revealing things about myself that I thought I would take to the grave. Yeah, as you said, it do is. you feel lighter? I feel lighter uh, in in certain ways. I guess I still am so anxious about the book coming out, and I'm still working hard on getting things in in place for the book to come out that I still feel like it's not 
that day has yet to arrive. It's still extremely weird for you to know about some of these things. Like it is just that is a constant. I have not completely processed that properly yet. That and I'm it's, yeah. that's going to take a while. I think is the idea that I like I said I could count on one hand who knew certain things, and then suddenly here it is available for everyone to find out every part of yeah. it and it's just such yeah. a strange door to step through that i'm still not there yet but it but it did feel like i i honestly it feels like i had no other choice i did i could not have gone to the end of my life with that stuff uh without trying to uh, unburden myself well i will also say and again i don't i'm not trying to be coy and i want people to read the book but for me, uh, there are chapters where the words are bombshells. And I'm just, I, you know, I almost dropped my goddamn telephone. You know, I was like, what? I'm glad you didn't wow. drop your phone. Oh, my heard. God, that would have broken yeah. my heart if this, this <laughs> there was so enough pain in this book. Now I have to worry about is the screen cracked? And Oh, no, no, no. I have, a, I have an otter box. I have an otter box. Okay. It's not... I can throw my phone across the a football okay. field and well, it'll good. be then fine. Then I'm less worried. You, you just the unburdening is when does the, the unburdening just keeps on coming with this? I'm not worried about your phone, my life, all these things. No, it's it. I and it's it's such a funny thing to write a thing and know when people in my life they'd be like, I'm reading the book. It's crazy stuff, and I'd be like, How far into it are you? What happened? What's happening right now in the book? And it'd be like, yeah, they know one part. They, there's still another one coming. They still don't know. You know, couple on that more, note. A couple more surprises <laughs> right around the corner for them. <laughs> on that note, you, you know, I'm lowly, lowly Vishkana here in Edmonton. I have it. I have it, I have it now in a couple of formats. Does, does Do your colleagues at the best show? Have this book? Like who? They you know, read it. They read, they read it. it. Yes, they okay. Were, they read it, and they were very. Uh, and did they know some of these things? Like the no, really? They, they didn't. They didn't know. And and how is? What was that first day of work uh, like when <laughs> you guys got oh. back together after they had read the book? It's um, I don't know. It just it just was. They they said nice things, and then it it kind of um, yeah, they're very complimentary. I, and that's, that's, it's ever, it's not my place to control anybody's experience with it either. It's just like, yeah. I told, I told my, my portion of this is me writing the book and then having it be the book. You want to read it, whatever, take away, whatever you want to take away. I've had people say to me, friends say, oh, I read the book and oh man, the, the, the showbiz stuff was so funny or the, this stuff was so funny and they don't talk anything about some of the personal stuff like that just is something they didn't want to share. They didn't feel like they wanted to discuss with me for whatever reason. That's yeah. totally fine. They, yeah. The other part of the book, what I wanted to do Vish, is just have it be um, not a book. I wanted it to be. If you knew me or best show, you'd be like, Oh, this is great. There's stuff. There's so much stuff in here. I didn't know either, but I also wanted it to be a book that just would work for somebody didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. It's just a story about a kid growing up in New Jersey and dealing with different things in their life and then kind of figuring their life out. And 
I did not want it to be some kind of inside baseball-y manual of whatever to where you feel like you just like, oh, I don't know the best show. Uh, I, I haven't studied it, and this book is not for me. It's like, no, I wanted it to be for somebody who has no idea who I was also. That was another one of the balances I tried to strike. Well, it was, that's where I was going with my uh, initial thoughts about the bombshells. You do this all in a very tactful and welcoming and inclusive manner. And it, to the point where, you know, you've divvied up the chapters so that we get little breaks from the heaviness, but you also are very sensitive in in sort of bringing people into, you know, the deeply heavy stuff. Uh, you alluded to the mental health issues you've had in your life. There's other personal things. I just want to commend you on that. Like, I, I, I hear what you're saying about making sure that anyone, anyone, anywhere who knows you, who knows the best show or doesn't, can relate to that book. I mean, on one hand... That's what we usually do as broadcasters, right? We over-explain things maybe a little so no one feels left mm-hmm. out. And I think you've done a really brilliant job of catering to your friends, your fans, but also to the general public. I, fi- I just want to say that. It's really accessibly written, if that makes... Is that... Oh, that's, that, that's, that is an enormous compliment. That I'm truly... that that f- To have to put this book together, that is... That's one of the nicest things you could say to me. So thank you. Oh. That really, it took a lot for me to try to get it anywhere near that goal. So yeah, th- thank you. You're welcome. Now, it's the timing of the release of the book, or maybe even the writing of the book, uh, I think is fascinating in terms of where the general public is in terms of stigmas about mental health, uh, processing people's experiences, lived experiences, their pain, their trauma, their joys. Did any of that inform, like I I know you go into detail, I think towards at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book about why you wrote the book and why, why and you know, why you wrote it when you wrote it even. But does this seem like the appropriate time (laughs) given how sensitive and open we, some of us have become to hearing people's stories? Like, does this feel like the this is not to me it feels like the perfect time for it never ends what is your take on that does does that even occur to you the zeitgeist so to speak it, it honestly it was such a it might sound whatever self-absorbed or whatever but it's just like i i wasn't thinking of any of that i was thinking of just where where was i at in terms of i think i would have told this regardless of what the climate of the culture was mm. But yeah, maybe maybe people are more open to certain things, and maybe maybe uh, y- younger people now won't do as much bottling up as people yeah. my age do. And it, it, maybe there's a part of this that is it is kind of the baggage of somebody where uh, coming up the way I, I came up and um, and the time I came up, and where you just. You shut up. You swallow it. You you deny it. You tamp it down. You keep going, and you don't own it. And that's a very unhealthy thing. And it's a, it is very positive that that is a part of the world now that people own the things they go through and when they happen. So maybe they're not as burdened by them, and they don't kind of twist and turn in their gut yeah. and turn turn more unhealthy. So. 
Well, I, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I mean, I've I, well, you're you're I think you're a bit older than me. I'm in my early forties, and I've come to a point where you start to realize that younger people do want to hear from you, and it's not that they need to, but they you you have a certain level of experience and and knowledge that you start to feel like. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I will get the odd email, you know, just like, hey, how do you do this? Or how would you recommend I do this? And so you mm-hmm. respond and you realize, oh, I'm I'm getting into that age where I can offer help to people if I want to. And there's aspects of your book that I think are showbiz instructive uh, or freelance writer instructive. And and that's pretty clear, I think, to me, that you're you're offering these anecdotes as a way of saying as advice almost like your own personal experience is sort of advisory but then when i think about your personal what you're relating to people personally is there any part of you that also i know this might be hard for you to be objective about because you're just telling your story the way it happened the best that you can remember it but was there any part of you that thought this might help people this might help people to talk about what i've gone through in my life on uh, on a deeply on the in, in terms of tragedies was there any part of you that thought that that oh. might help? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was a, a lot of it had to do with that and and the concept of shame and what you do with things that happen to you. And it, it really, it's as much what happened to you as how you deal with what happened to you. Mm. And I uh, did not do a particularly efficient job at it i just it was a survival technique for me to just power through i wanted some version of a life and when you have things happen to you mental stuff and all that and you just feel you're just a shell of a person there's no person there so it's like at some point i want to be normal quote unquote normal and so the only way to be normal is to deny some of the stuff sometimes that's well that's and that's that's one way to deal with it it's not spoiler alert it is not the healthiest way to deal with it but it's it's what made sense to me at the time and i kind of just did it and it allowed me it it gave me some breathing room to start to reassemble my life yeah but those those ghosts of your past kind of still they they don't just automatically go away because you want them to go away you have you know, to, it's, it's yeah. unprocessed trauma yeah. Un, it's basically uh, that's it really comes down to unprocessed trauma and it impacts every other part of your life well you know it's kind of a hokey sentiment on some level but i have found in interviewing different people every week um from all over the world that uh people have different experiences I have had uh, different experiences during this pandemic, but one of the underlying uh, and recurring themes seems to be people learning a lot about themselves, reflecting upon themselves. Uh, and that's a lot of what we talk about these days is maybe being a bit more self-aware. Um, you know, you had the unique experience of writing a book about yourself <laughs> and trying to process yourself during at least some of this time. I have a sense of what you learned about yourself from reading your book. I'm just curious about you. Are there any particularly profound things about yourself that you've learned both in the process of 
writing this book and also having this time to yourself as much as you've had during the pandemic? Yeah, the the um, I, I just I I realized writing the book. Uh, honestly, it's just that this I don't know. It it kind of brought it home that how how not nice to myself my brain is that I have a I have a a, a brain that some of the things that it does for me in terms of coming up with funny stuff or whatever it's like yeah i'm so grateful for that that i i have that kind of brain that that's what it does that's the like if everybody's head does certain things that's what mine does and i'm very i love it that's one of the best options you can have is that you get to have a skill set that makes people laugh but there's also just this brutal aspect of my brain which is just just really very punishing and cruel and it, it it runs through so much of the stuff and then i would always try to just transmute that and turn that into funny stuff yeah and it just again when you get back to the book it's like the i mean not that i'm saying let's get back to the book but i mean like we are aren't we always in the book we're about talking the about tel- the book what else are we talking Look, about <laughs> of course, well thank thank you thank you Vish. i appreciate it i i feel i feel like i'm pulling i feel like i'm pulling a fast one on you by talking about the book that we're here to talk about that just shows if you needed more confirmation about my brain you just got a little look inside of it right there i will say i don't Um, want to reveal too much but there's a portion of your book where you talk about feeling like you were a huckstered into watching private parts by howard stern and just to bring it back to the beginning of what we were talking about i was talking i was i hope i wasn't bragging to say I read your book in a day, but uh, maybe I was. I didn't mean to. I was just engrossed. The, one of the only other times I did this, I want to tell you there, Tom, is uh, I had reserved a copy of Private Parts by Howard Stern at the local library, and the day I got it, I sat in my... For some reason, I sat in my parents' bed. I lay, I lay in my parents' bed on a summer day. I don't know why I was in their bed. It made no sense. I've never done that before in my life. And I read the whole thing in a day. <laughs> And and at that point, we didn't even have the radio show. I only knew him from mm-hmm. Letterman. So I, I don't know wow. why. It's weird. I, I don't. There's something about figures on the radio <laughs> where if they put out a book, I got to consume the whole thing in a day. I just this just dawned on me as we were speaking. I didn't mean to interrupt we're you. All, we're all learning about ourselves today. <laughs> maybe this is, maybe the stuff people I think are learning you just about. found the first chapter of your book. <laughs> maybe it's not as interesting to learn about me. I, I would concede that oh. in this case, but I just thought that was odd. Uh, as I was finishing your book today, I, I like uh, you know I was wrapping it up this morning, uh, and I, I thought, what the hell? Like that's the only. There's a few instances where I've consumed a large book in a day. What are the odds? Mm-hmm. What are the odds that it's you and Stern among the? handful of times anyway oh, sorry I, I that's very sweet and he he yeah he did cast a shadow over so much of of my stuff growing up and then it's so funny it it really was like a light switch got thrown i it got thrown on and i was obsessed with him and then just click it went the other way and i just never went back ever again and it was the I self. So it, was much the self to, it was the self promotion aspect of it, right? That was part of it. You were just we, like, yeah, which is why maybe that's a part of why I feel so hesitant <laughs> to <right>. be <laughs> that person because I know what a turn off it was for me when when his show turned from a radio show to an infomercial for his movie or a, 
We'd already gone through the book stuff where you hyped the book, and that was exciting. Yeah. And the book, the book was fun. His, I remember loving his book. Yeah. And, but that said, when he was promoting the movie, then it was just like, well, this better be the greatest movie that's ever happened. <laughs> ever been made. But he got it to the point where I was like panicked that I was not going to get a ticket to see this movie on like a Friday at one in the afternoon or whatever. And the guy at the theater, I was just like, like I'm going up to the box office like, are there still tickets for so one o'clock private parts? guy's like, yeah, there's still some tickets. And it's like, then you go in and it's just a, it was like, it was like an adult theater, honestly, like solo dudes scattered all throughout in their own little private section, like keeping away. They want their own little space from each other so they could do whatever they're going to do. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be a mobbed theater, according to what he said on the radio. And I was like, I think I've been played a little bit. Oh, that and that really was such a cautionary tale for me to realize what it's like when somebody manipulates you a little bit like that. And I feel like I've I've tried to be respectful of that going forward. If anybody was ever going to pay attention to my anything I made, it's like, well, let's be respectful about their enthusiasm for it. Yeah. Like, why would I? Why would I want to be? Take, take advantage of that. It's a gift that somebody be like, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. It's like, oh my God, thank you. Rather than be like, all right, you're interested and let me take you for a ride now. I got a, I got a sucker on the line. And that's like the difference between when you see a band like Kiss and they, they have a dedicated audience and then what do they do? They're like, well, let's figure out anything we can sell them all the time let's squeeze every nickel out of yeah. them it's like that's such a abuse of of fandom yeah absolutely just so we're clear lest anyone feel uh that i'm drawing a correlation between uh howard stern's hucksterism uh for that film private parts and tom sharpling's very modest mentions of it never ends on the best show there's no uh-huh. connection there i feel like you, i can hear a little bit of sheepishness in your voice when you when you remind people that the book is coming out and all and, and the flip side of private parts the movie was fine it was like a cartoon and whatever yeah it was a funny it's movie. funny i enjoyed it i probably have it on a couple of different formats uh downstairs in the basement but i just want to say it never ends is I've already expressed this. It is the furthest thing from a disappointment that anyone's going to experience. It's remarkable. Like, oh I, I read it twice for crying out loud. Do you know how much time that well, takes to read a book twice? A, a considerable amount. Well, so apparently I should have written a longer book. You're <laughs> knocking it off in one my, sitting now. My wife said that as we were going to bed last night. She's like, are you, did you, I know you read this before, but why are you that, you, did you just, are you skimming it? Why are you so far in? And I was like, yeah. no. I'd just been reading it like since I'd arrived at the door. She's like, wow. Like, yeah. I wasn't reading it at dinner or anything. I made dinner, as a matter of fact. Uh, but no, I uh, no, I just couldn't. I am, a, yes, again, I'm, I'm, I may be bragging here, but uh, Tom, I read fast. I try to read fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a fast read yeah, brag. It's a bit of a fast read brag. But, but my no, point kidding. is, 
it's wondrous. Like I couldn't put it down. Anyway, we were talking about something. We got into Howard Stern, and <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> we were talking. What were we talking about? We were talking about the. Um, we were talking about some of the uh, stuff attached to. Oh, the learnings. The, the learnings as about? they were. The yes. learning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it really did. I guess for me, the stuff I learned was that I saw the magnitude of my abusive brain. I finally looked at it. It was like putting my own self under a microscope every day, writing the book. So there's certain things you just see that you do. And it's like, man, I should have been a lot nicer to this person throughout his life. That person being me talking about me. Yeah. And it's just like that is a part of it. But I did come away from it saying it's like, you know, look, I I know I've tried. I know I've I know I tried. That's that's like that's kind of it. It's like I, I look at what my life has been. It's like I really did the best I could in all of these moments. And there's no real spot where I'm like, yeah, I really should have done that completely differently. And it's like. I just kind of got, you get dealt certain cards earlier in life and then it's what you do with them. And it's like, sometimes I'm just, I, I, I look at the, the book and I'm just like, it's man, it's enough of an accomplishment that I just stayed alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that in and of itself was the biggest achievement was that I didn't, that I just, I stuck around and stayed alive and it's like, and then to actually start to, build a life that kind of looked like a life I would want to live. That's, that's even, that's, that's double. It's like, it's just like, it's so far beyond where I, I I thought I could end up in life. And I'm just getting to see that kind of reflected back at, uh, at me was very, was, was big. I think those of us who are fans of yours, are grateful that you do what you do and we're grateful you're alive for what that's worth. But I think after reading your book, I think we'll even be uh, filled with more gratitude that you're here. So I appreciate your recognition of that. The, the notion that, you know, at some point you realize how precious life is and how close it can be to, you know, being snuffed uh, out. Yeah. And uh, so that comes across. You have written about and I think talked about how competitive you are. I mean, mm-hmm. for crying out loud, your show is called The Best Show, and that yes. th- there's something there. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Do you... I, I don't know that you've addressed whether it's healthy or not to be as competitive with you uh, as you are, rather. And in and, and talking about how harsh you've been to yourself, like, do you... This might sound weird, but do you feel like you're competing with yourself, almost? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a constant state for me. How do Just you like, defeat yourself? <laughs> How do you <laughs> I'm pretty good at it actually. It's funny. I'm actually it's the only game I feel like sometimes in my if I'm competing against myself, it's one of those boxing matches where both fighters punch each other at the same time and both get knocked down. Yeah. Sometimes that's the closest thing I can compare it to. Yeah. I don't know. It's such a hard. It's it's just that wavering cruelty that that I can have for myself that can be really strong or can fade a little bit. I can get in check. And I just try. It depends on what I'm focusing on. 
I'd rather be competitive with myself than with I'm 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 so much less competitive with other people now than I ever was. Like I I, I started to let go of that stuff a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I just it, it might sound whatever self absorbed, but it's like you kind I I kind of just can't care I, I care what other people are up to. It's like they're on their path. And they can go do what they do. And maybe they do the most amazing thing ever. Then I get to experience it. And I I, I do feel in my heart of hearts that when somebody makes something that I'm impressed by, I really don't feel envious or or jealous or whatever. It, it's it actually, it, it's kind of the opposite. It feels like permission because it shows that you can make something like that. Yeah. And you can see people respond to something like that. It just says that the world wants that. So maybe the world wants what I do, which is one house over from what that was. It's like the their next door neighbors. So the worst version would be is if everything that everybody liked looked nothing like what I want to do. Yeah. Like that's just like well the, you're you're out of step with the world then there's no home for you, and that would be the worst version of things honestly not not seeing uh, a peer or a friend well especially not a friend I love when my friends get things rolling it just means I have cool friends like why wouldn't that be why wouldn't that be the goal? It's like, look at me and my friends. We make stuff and the the stuff is awesome. And we, yeah. rather than just like, ah, I'm the only one of my friends that does ever, anything. The rest of my friends are losers. It's like, wh- some people want that. They want to be the only one. And that, and then everybody else is in their, what, in their entourage, I guess. Right. But yeah. Ju- yeah. I think when your colleagues are, are, are doing stuff that's, that's good. That's completely healthy. And I think it also can, it can, um, I know in my own experience, like sometimes you, you that little bit of resentment turns into drive to do Absolutely. better, to do better. I know. I remember there's a quote from Ian Mackay about like Fugazi, uh, you know, he would say like, we saw these bands that blew our minds and now is art that just like on the one hand you could be like, well, I'm throwing my guitar in the garbage. I can't top that. But the mm-hmm. other side of it is, no, I got to throw down. I got to do something as good as that was. And I think that's a healthy way, a healthier way of looking at it than just like, why does that person do well? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, so I don't do, does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. Cause we, it's, it's like you've been, it's, it's fun to just get excited about what a friend makes and then be like, well, I'm going to try to, impress my friend the way they impressed me exactly like that's yes. the, that's the greatest yeah and when a few of my friends would read the book and they'd be like this is how we i love it this is so uh, like what you did is so is so great and what a like you really whatever friends complimenting it again you could see i can't even like i can't even recount a friend's compliment that's where my brain is going to with it feels like slightly like i'm getting braggy no i know yeah it's but, like my but, fast but, reading but, it's like my fast reading thing earlier i i still exactly look we've all got our things to brag about <laughs> um but but it comes down to it's just it really is like there was nothing better than 
to to have the people who I'm friends with be people I, I also admire. And then when they make something like, look, we can talk about we have in common. Nick Thorburn is a is a friend of mine and yours. Yeah. And he he does. He has this amazing catalog of music and he's always striving to do things. And he has a, there's a new islands album coming out and it's outstanding and it's just like i felt such pride with that like the idea that i'm friends with i'm friends with this guy can you believe it like yeah. and this guy likes what i do yeah. like the idea like that's that is the greatest feeling that you get to be a part of like a a, a club or whatever you want to call it where it's everybody can it's mutual admiration you know, it's funny you say this, Tom, because as we're speaking, yes, the Islands album, Islamania, is going to be out shortly. As it happened, you and I both made a podcast with Nick and Islands. In my case, it was with Nick and Jordy and Evan Gordon of his band. They both came out the same day. And I tell you something, I'll be honest about it. Five, six years ago, I would have been like, ah, oh. the competitive spirit in me would be like, why is it out on the same day? Yesterday, Mm -hmm. yesterday, I was like, this is amazing. I'm happy that Nick is making music. I love Tom. This is great. And we all, and you know, Nick, to his credit, he shared your thing. He shared my thing. It felt very Mm -hmm. loving. And I, that's what I wish there was in my life. If I have regrets or, or whatever, I'm like, why was I so petty about some stupid thing? We're all in this together. And I don't know where this is coming from, but you've had, you've got it in your book as well. Like there are no shortage of you counting your good fortunes. Uh, you might be talking about how yeah. you didn't get a show made or whatnot, and we've heard you talk about that in the past as well. But there's, I would say, almost every chapter you count your blessings, so to speak. You count your good fortunes. That's humility. That's I don't want to say you needed growth, but when I describe what I'm talking about with the the Islands podcasts, I feel growth. I wasn't upset. Maybe I would have been as a kid, younger person, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good, right? Oh, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and it is growth. And it is it is just you realize that you need to count your blessings and you need to have gratitude and appreciation for the people in your life and not look at them as anything other than your people. Yes. And yes. you're not in a you're not in a race with them and the reality is people get twisted about opportunities that someone else got. It's like, but usually they're not talking about a thing where it's like that job was down to me and that person mm-hmm. and that person took my job. It's like it's 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 almost never as literal as that. It's like you weren't even up for that exactly. job. Exactly. They but they got they were and they got it. It's like exactly. worry about the jobs you're potentially up for, not yes. the one that they got that you were never even in the running for. It's yeah. like that's one of those traps. And look, I say it only as somebody who's fallen into it so many times where I would I would let myself get consumed by that stuff. And then it took a lot of work and a lot of experience to finally start letting go of whatever happens to other people is not something that was supposed to happen to me. Yeah. They're on their path. They're living their life. That's their, what's going to happen to them is going to happen to them. Let me, 
Let me try to control the things I can control and work on myself and then try to get the things that I can get. And that's the only, the other thing is just a trap. Yeah. No. I mean, I think this all, this this growth you've been describing that I've been alluding to, I think when people pick up It Never Ends, they're going to pick up on this. And I think it was, uh, for whatever reason, the stars aligned. And I think you wrote a book like this at the perfect time because it's hopeful, it's funny, it's heartening. I love it. Um, before, I, I know we should wrap up soon here, Tom, but I just want to ask you a quick mm-hmm. thing. And I don't know if, again, without revealing too much, I'm just curious, it occurs to me, was there a story in this book that you put down on paper that was funnier or more revealing to you in any way than you expected it to be? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I can think of a few things because even if they were stories that I was comfortable telling, if they were stories that were not some massive secret, like I would say... I started to realize the the person in those stories. Like, I, I never thought about myself in some of those stories. It was just thinking about the story. Like, there's a story about me auditioning for the new monkeys, which is its own <laughs> horrifying nightmare. Auditioning is a very generous word also with this. Right. I went in and they looked at me and said, thanks, but no thanks, basically. But... I always thought of that story in my brain as one thing, but then I didn't think of like, what was going on? Like, why would this kid do this? What made (laughs) this kid do this? And then I started to look at that part and I was surprised where I'm like, oh, I was just looking for answers or I was looking for this. I didn't always take into account my role in my own stories and what they meant, what that meant necessarily sometimes i would do it sometimes i would just be like ah that's a dumb story so i did that with all of the everything i wrote about i would do i would inevitably do some sort of self-reflection and then see my role in it and what it meant and what i was trying to do and who i wanted to be and all of that like it it kind of that part was unexamined Well, I mean, that's a great. I love how you frame that story too. It comes to you in a, in a flood of memories. Oh, sorry, no pun intended. It does come to you oh. out of nowhere, uh, in a sense. And uh, anyway, again, pun somewhat intended. Yeah, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll put a, I'll put a half check on that okay. one. I appreciate that. I, I, some of my yeah. gushing needed to be uh, put in check. I appreciate <laughs> it coming <laughs> towards the end. Uh, Tom, uh, uh-huh. I, I want uh-huh. to give you an opportunity to uh, let people know, uh, A, where they can learn more about this book, It Never Ends, and I guess, B, if you have future plans uh, beyond this book uh, for the best show or anything you want to share at this point, I know that might be tricky to do, given the relative uncertainty of the world, uh, but uh, yeah, no, did you want to no. share anything uh, that's coming up? Yeah, well, I mean, the book is coming out on July 6th and it's called It Never Ends a memoir with nice what is it? Memories. Oh boy. Memories. Thank you. (laughs) Not not that nice apparently. Not not memorable memories. Oh no. No it's a memoir with nice memories (laughs) and 
you can find out. I put a website together called TomWroteABook.com, and it has links to places you can pre-order the book or order the book and information on on different events we're going to be doing for it. And it's all it's all on that website. You can check it out okay. and learn more about the book there. I do a couple shows. There's The Best Show, which is my the show I've been doing for a long, long time. And that is every Tuesday night live, but you can get it as a podcast wherever you want. That's over at thebestshow.net. And then I also do a show with my friend Julie Klausner called Double Threat, which is uh, the two of us together goofing around and having fun and making each other laugh. And that you can get where you get podcasts. And yeah, going forward for 2021, I I am just looking at my life for the last few years. I've looked at it as there is a demarcation line of pre-book, post-book, and I am excited about what post-book life is going to look like. I truly don't know how things are going to lay, but it's just time for for that to be the next chapter. So I'm sure there'll be some, some stuff happening and... I'm writing on TV shows and stuff. That's been my day job. There's a show coming out called Kevin Can F Himself that I wrote on uh, last year, and that comes out this summer. Nice. And it's it should be should be fun. I have I, I honestly haven't seen it yet. It, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. It's a high weird high concept show that I think people are going to really respond to. Hmm. So yeah, I got and. Other stuff, TBD. Right. And, and I don't even, it's got it's not even <laughs> TBD by me. I, I have to still determine it. I know it's, uh, it might seem, well, I, it might seem more plausible now. Have you, are you contemplating a book tour? Would you want to do that? I know you don't like performing per se, uh, but you've also done more of it in the last, the last time I saw you in person, mm-hmm. we uh, was at, uh, you were performing in Toronto as Sharpling and Worcester. Uh, and it was wonderful. Yeah, it was fun. It was wonderful. Uh, book tour? What do you think? Would you do something like that? I, w- I would, I would have loved to have done a book tour, but the way the world looks right now, I'm kind of in this, we're hitting kind of a spot where we are, people are, not yet ready to do large events in bookstores just yet. So I'm, I'm yeah. the book's coming out slightly before the world is ready to go back to normal in that regard. Yeah. We'll do as I really did want to just get in a car and drive from city to city and promote the book, but that is not physically possible, but we're going to do some virtual things and hopefully down the road we'll do some physical things when those are possible because I really did want to do that. So we'll we'll figure some version out if there if there's a paperback maybe. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Who knows? Then if if there's a paperback and that's the whole thing, I will go all in on that. Then then I will get in the car and drive around and come to your town. <laughs> but it will you will have to come to me on the internet and I will come to you on the internet. We will meet there. But soon we will be face to face. I hope so. Well, uh, Tom, it's uh, it's a pleasure to to speak with you again. Uh, the book it never ends. Uh, I I think I've said almost as much as I can say about how great it is. But to your earlier point, maybe it's never enough. Uh, it is wonderful. I hope people read it uh, in one day or two, however long it takes them. They can't all be me. Wonderful, mm-hmm. Tom. I love this book. 
I love you and your work. Thank you for this time and for being back on this show. And I wish you the best of luck and everything in the future. Well, thank you so much, Visha. I appreciate you taking the time and your thoughtfulness truly does mean the world to me. No joke. Well, that was a deeply meaningful one for me. I don't know what else to say about it. It was really wonderful to have Tom back on the show, to have a deep conversation about It Never Ends. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Tom Sharpling, for appearing on this, the 620th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts, just about everywhere, I believe. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about, you're looking for it, and for some reason it's... uh, You know, your podcast thing only goes back so far, you know. Sometimes that happens. Or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, all that stuff is available, or should be anyway, if all is working well, on my website, vishkana.com. If you like, you can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter or on Instagram, at vishkana. Please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive audio content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. Uh, If you're listening out there, Adam, I will go down to the basement and find your medium maroon creative control t-shirt i just haven't i I was in the basement but it was to fix something and it was a slight emergency (laughs) and now that i've resolved that i will head over to my storage closet and i will find your t-shirt for you and send it off anyway for the rest of you that was just for adam for the rest of you patreon.com slash creative control thank you oh speaking of thanks thanks again to the fine alberta record retailer blackbird music which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca also want to thank live at MasseyHall.com, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. You know, I started this partnership with Live at Massey Hall uh, during this pandemic. They reached out and said, we want to do something. We want to support the show. We want to, uh, you know, publicize some stuff we're doing. Uh, this relationship is going to be on pause now that they're uh, back to uh, live stuff, like actual concerts and stuff as they plot their reopening. So... I just wanted to take a second, if they're listening, thank you uh, to my friends at Massey Hall for their support of the show. And by the sounds of it, we might work together again at some point. But uh, this will be the last time you hear them mentioned uh, on the show. So anyway, yeah, go to live at MasseyHall.com. New Pornographer's performance on there, Destroyer, Jennifer Castle, all sorts of past uh, guests on this show and other people who are fantastic as well. So check it out. Uh, Who else do I need to thank? Oh, yeah, I want to thank The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and uh, Pizza Trocadero as well in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. All of them uh, provide in-kind support for this show. I want to thank my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some of his music on the show. You can learn more about him and his amazing catalog of song at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Tom Sharpling. And again, thanks to Tom for making time for me. Uh, I appreciate that. If you like this episode with Tom, I hope you will consider subscribing to this uh, creative control podcast and maybe telling your friends about the show uh, to just help spread the word about it Uh, all that stuff is very meaningful to me when i hear stories like that Uh, so uh and maybe they'll like it who knows i don't know your friends you know them better than me so do what you got to do or do nothing just enjoy the show sit back do what do just be you 
whatever. You know what I'm saying? All right, I got to go. I'll talk to you very soon. Thanks again. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.